Welcome to the Give This Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Island Program, which Forbes has stated helps entrepreneurs become professional speakers. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Our guest today is Edgar Villanueva. He is a philanthropy executive and author. Edgar, welcome to our show today. Thanks for having me on. So I love pointing out how amazing our guests are on this podcast and how unique they are. And literally, we've never had, we've had almost 500 episodes and Edgar is our first Native American guest to be on our show. So thank you, Edgar, for being here because again, we want to represent everyone, not just in thought, but in action. And so I appreciate you being here because I'm American, born and raised in New York City. What I read in history was like, oh, Christopher Columbus came by and he was a nice guy and he started this whole European uh, colonization, but the, the truth is there's factual journalism, him showing that he was a depraved, like just a really bad man. Of course, as an American, you don't hear about that. So we're not gonna obviously dive into that, but I just wanna know for you as a Native American, what's one thing you hope all of us, whether American or not, know about Native Americans so that we can appreciate and understand and, and, and know who Native Americans are? Yeah, thank you. You know, one, I think, is to understand that we're still here. Um, a lot of folks, when they think of Native Americans, they think of a, an, an old, uh, you know, like the old Western TV shows or some romanticized uh, fantasy around cowboys and Indians. We are still here. We're very resilient. Actually, the majority of Native Americans, about 80% of us, live in cities. And one of our greatest challenges um, current day is actually fighting invisibility. We say that invisibility is, is sort of like our new genocide. And so a lot of the work that I do through Decolonizing Wealth and also in partnership with other Native folks is to uh, really you know, we're fight for social justice, but also just to bring visibility to our communities that are so resilient and have so much to offer our communities. Now that's great. And the beauty of your story and, and is, is really the beauty of many people's story. Like, let's say I'm Asian American and then I didn't see many Asians in my neighborhood and if you're black or a woman, but frankly, all of us can feel like outsiders are invisible in this world that we live in in those social media. So I think that your point is really cross-cultural, cross-generational, cross-ethnicity. So it's, it's important that you share your story. So what are some things that, that um, you talk about or or, or move forward with this decolonizing wealth project. Tell us more about that. Well, a big part of the work is actually, um, you know, starting with a look back at history. Um, right now, believe it or not, 27 states in the U.S. make no mention of a single Native American in K-12 curriculum. And so Native Americans in our history in the U.S. of colonization and what really happened is really, really important to understand. It's our origin story. Um, we often sweep populations or certain stories or aspects of our history under the surface, which I think has resulted in a lot of problems for us as a society around uh, racial tension and ideas um, that are pitting, pitting us against one another as, as different, different folks, where we really could be celebrating that diversity. Um, I think that we as a country in the United States have a lot of work to do around coming to terms with that truth and leaning into um, the darkness of it, so to speak, so that we can get to a place of true racial healing in this country. 
Um, the work that I do specifically through Decolonizing Wealth is about truth-telling, education around that, but it's also bringing it to the space of money. Um, I work in the sector of philanthropy, um, a sector that sits on $1 trillion of philanthropic capital um, that's investing in nonprofit organizations around the country. So to be a Native American in that space coming from poverty is a pretty rare phenomenon. And ultimately, in a quick nutshell, the work that I do is really pushing philanthropists and philanthropic institutions to invest more money in indigenous and communities of color and in organizations led by those organizations that have been, um, in a sense, marginalized from investment. And um, part of that is deeply connected to our history um, and the reason that we don't have wealth in communities of color in the first place and the reason that we find a lack of investment current day um, in uh, communities of color is absolutely tied to our history of colonization. And talk to us, so you mentioned there's 27 states that have no mention of Native Americans. So out of the 23 states, are there some states that you feel is a great model of how we can educate and really learn more about Native Americans? Yeah, you know, I think there are definitely some efforts around the country um, many of them, of course, are led by Native leaders. Um, we have schools that are, um, have been established and are led by uh, Native educators to, uh, that, that have curriculum, that they're, they're teaching our own, our own young people about our own history and who we are. But those tools and resources are absolutely available to other educators. Um, in fact, a partner of ours called Aluma Native um, released curriculum, curriculum yesterday on their website, illuminatives.org, uh, that any educator can download, um, especially right now during the COVID pandemic where folks are doing a lot of distance learning and at-home learning. There's curriculum that parents uh, can also use to expose and teach their kids about um, Native Americans, not only the history, but the fact that we're still here and that we're very much a part of the fabric of this country. Um, for those uh, folks who um, are looking beyond the education space, just as leaders in communities, whether you're in business, philanthropy, finance, whatever, um, there's lots of information that, and resources that we put out through Decolonizing Wealth to educate folks around the history of money and the role that um, our history in the U.S. Has, has played, how wealth has actually traumatized communities, but how we can use money in a very different way to help address trauma and healing and to restore balance to our communities. A lot of the ways that we use money in a way that is outside of an indigenous worldview um, is actually harmful to people and to the planet. And uh, we believe as indigenous people that we need to be in a right relationship with each other as relatives um, and with the planet and to use all of our resources, um, including money, um, in a way that is um, um, healthy and that is healing and nurturing and building deep relationship and connection um, across uh, communities and with the planet. What do you mean by um, hurtful ways specifically? Well, I'll give an example of within the sector of philanthropy. Um, so I mentioned that philanthropy sits on $1 trillion, right? So yeah. let's break that down a little bit for, for those who are into numbers. I won't go too deep because, uh, you know, it's, it's, we have 10 it's minutes, a, yeah. a quick <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, $1 trillion. So 
philanthropic capital in the U.S. Some would say that that is money that is actually, um, you know, money that should have gone into public coffers. And so if you have wealth, if you are a corporation and you start a foundation, you get a major tax write-off for that, right? And so, if, you know, the Gates of the world that has, for example, the Gates Foundation, major tax write-offs. If, if that money had been taxed, that money would have gone into a democratic system where um, through our process in, 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 the, you know, in the US, uh, we would have many individuals weighing in on how that money was used, either for public education, for infrastructure, for roads, healthcare, or whatnot. But because we have this system in the US that allows people with wealth to set up a foundation, they as single individuals get to control and decide um, how those resources are used in ways that um, greatly impact um, decision making and um, how we deliver programs and services in the country. So some would say that's harmful to democracy. There's an argument for that. Um, and, you know, there have been initiatives that have been launched by some of these folks that have backfired and not been good for the community uh, because of a lack of input and say so. If you're living in poverty and you're in a community that's living in poverty, just imagine like a, a billionaire kind of parachuting in telling you what you need as a community and sort of forcing their theory of change or ideology in your community in a way that can be helpful, right? But also could be harmful to your way of life. And so that's, that's just one example. The other quick thing that I wanna point out is that the money that is um, in uh, charitable assets, government only requires a small percentage of that funding to actually leave banks and go um, and have community public impact. Only a mere 5%, if you start a foundation, you only have to actually give away 5%. So what's happening with the 95% of those charitable assets? Research shows that the majority of those uh, charitable assets, again, this is like money that was like tax-free, right? A big write-off, is actually invested in Wall Street and, and private industry and um, in many industries that are actually harmful to communities, such as private prisons, such as uh, fossil fuels. And so many foundations have the, a mission statement of changing the world, helping the world, helping climate, all of those things, but they're only actually giving away a small percentage of their money to groups who are doing that mission-related work, and a vast majority of their resources are actually invested in extractive and harmful industries. Interesting. Well, Igor, thanks so much for being on our show today. What's one thing we can all do to help Native Americans, but just people in general, be more visible that don't feel visible? You know, I want to invite people to our website, decolonizingwealth.com. We offer a lot of opportunities to join. We have a, a giving circle called Liberated Capital, where that is a multi-class, multi-race um, opportunity to actually learn together, but also to uh, give monthly to support groups on the ground. Those groups come into our circle to share um, information about their communities, about their work in a way that is um, really um, supporting ideas of solidarity and reciprocity and bringing us together, understanding that we're all connected, we're in this game of life together, and we really need to depend on each other um, to, to get through this pandemic, but to also get to a better place um, uh, in the world. So um, check out the website, lots of places to plug in and support the work and to learn about uh, Native communities and other communities of color, especially through the lens of philanthropy. That's great. And what I want to just mention one thing to our listeners, if anyone ever gets to go to Australia, when, when I was in Australia in February for this conference we were speaking at, the first thing the person said actually was acknowledging the Native tribes of that land and I've walked around 
uh, let's say Melbourne or, or Sydney and they have like monuments, you know? So for me as an American, I've never seen any monument for Native Americans. And so at least from that respect, I just found it, it was inspiring to know that they're at least doing their part in some small way, you know, so at least there's an awareness, you know. Absolutely. So if you ever do go to Australia, it's pretty cool. And with Edgar, thank you so much for being on our podcast and have a great day. All right. You too. Thank you so much.